It's a joy to be with you this morning, and it's a privilege to be able to bring God's word, and it's a privilege to be able to serve alongside you, Will. Uh, you're a good man, and uh, just am proud to know you. So uh, thank you for that incredible introduction. It's humbling. Uh, we've been in this in- incredible series uh, that's been covering what we've been doing over the summer in our grow workshops, this idea of learn and be and do. And if you look at this uh, tree, you can see that you know Pastor Kim, two weeks ago, she spoke on what it means to be rooted in Scripture. Jesus, what do you want me to learn from you? How important it is if we are to be a healthy tree that we have to be rooted in the soil of Scripture. And then Pastor Kerr last week gave a beautiful invitation this picture she painted of us being next to this, this river that we get to be with God, to be you know, filled up by the presence of God. In order for us to be a, a healthy tree, we have to experience both a, a good, nutrient-rich soil, but we also need to be next to that water, that wellspring of life. But if that tree doesn't have any fruit, it's not doing its job. So here we are today in the do. Jesus, what would you have me do? Now we can't separate those three things. You can't separate learn from being from doing. They have to be interconnected. You need all three. It's, it's vital for a healthy tree. But today we're going to specifically focus on that doing component. Would you repeat after me? Faith, Faith. without works without is dead. dead. Faith, Faith without works is dead. Our brother Bob Goff is an author. He wrote in his book, love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it, keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. Love does. And with that, I'm just reminded of, just convicted, really, During the week as I'm sitting with this scripture, I'm just like, wow. I'm reminded of how little I actually do for Jesus. Um, I mean, I do a lot of stuff. Don't get me wrong. My schedule is really packed. My calendar is, you know, blocked out in different segments. I got a to-do list. Uh, Are you guys just hanging out too? I mean, do you guys just have a lot of time on your hands? No, as like people of LA, we are doers. We do a lot of stuff. But do you ever ask the question, Jesus, am I doing what you want me to do? Am I doing what you want me to do? And I believe that it's that question that we're actually created for. We're created to answer that question. In um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, he created each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does the work he has gotten ready for us to do, the work we had better be doing. We are created for this. And before we get into the doing, right? I mean, just do it. Let's just get after it, Mike. Okay, I'm with you. Let's just get, what do we got to do? I want to talk a little bit about our motivations for doing. If you're anything like me, then there might be that motivation of guilt and shame, right? Did you hear it? I'm reminded of how little I actually do for Jesus this week. And and in that, you can almost hear a tinge of guilt and shame come out. It's this idea that Pastor Kerr reminded us of uh, last week, that that God is good and and we're bad, so we just got to try harder. 
right? Does that, ever, does that tape ever play in your mind that God's good and I'm, I'm bad, therefore I just got to try harder? That that can be a motivation for us to do is out of a place of guilt and shame. There's also other times where we are motivated to do because uh, we feel like we got to pay God back. Now, don't get me wrong, we're indebted to the cross, absolutely. But there's a sense that we could maybe somehow pay God back because we don't like being indebted to anyone. Who likes to be indebted, right? And so we think, okay, Jesus, I saw what you did on the cross, I get it, but have you seen what I've done for you? I mean, look at my life. I mean, like, we're kind of, we're even, right? We're good? And so we do to try to get even with God so that we're not indebted to anybody. And oftentimes we actually could do in order to try to receive God's love. That somehow maybe if I just did more that God would love me more. There's all these different motivations to do. But I want you to hear from Nora Lee as she reads Isaiah 6. And I want you to hear the motivation for us to do. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Amen. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Nora Lee. Did you hear it? Did you hear the motivation? You have Isaiah in the presence of God, and he's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. I, I wasn't supposed to walk into this room, right? Like, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I shouldn't be here. Like, I'm about to be destroyed. And then what happens? God sends an angel, a seraph. Did you catch the picture of the seraph? Seraph with six wings, with two, it's covering its face, with two, it's covering its feet, and with two, it's flying. And at the sound of the seraph's voice, the doorposts and thresholds, this, this sanctuary would shake, it would be filled with smoke. And it's that seraph that's crying out to God, holy, 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 you're holy. I'm telling you, if I'm in the presence of this seraph, I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not supposed to be here. And it's that seraph that's going, no, God, you're holy. You're holy. No wonder Isaiah is like, I am broken. I'm a man of unclean lips. And could you imagine him doing out of that place? I got to somehow justify myself before God because I am a, a broken person. 
No, that's not what that passage says. It says that God came down. He, he sent a seraph down to touch his lips with, with a coal. And he says, do you see? Do you see that your guilt is taken away? Do you see that your sin has been atoned for? After that, after he experiences the love and grace of God, he hears the voice of God that says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he's like, right here. Here am I, send me. The motivation for all of our doing comes from a foundational place of us being loved by God. It has to. And I can tell you until I'm blue in the face or red in the face or whatever color my face is right now, I can tell you that you are loved by God. But what I, what I desire, what I long for is for you to experience the reality that you are loved by God. And from that love, then therefore you would go and do. You see, Isaiah was sent by God and you and I are sent by God as well. If you can remember uh, in Matthew, the end of Matthew chapter 28, you have Jesus, which P.S. is God, the same God that those seraphs are crying out saying, holy, 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 the same God that sent Isaiah as a witness. See, God doesn't ask us to do something that God isn't willing to do with God's own self. God comes down in the person of Jesus Christ. He sacrifices his own life for us. He demonstrates the love of God for us. He's buried, he's resurrected. And then he meets with his disciples and right before he's ascending back into heaven, he sends his disciples in Matthew 28 and he says, go. Go and make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and remember, remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ the sent one, sends his disciples, sends you and I to make disciples. And before we can even get into what it looks like to make disciples, we gotta first talk about what it means to be a disciple. We don't even use that word to describe ourselves. We read about disciples all the time in scripture, but we don't really use that word to describe ourselves. In fact, we use words like, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus or I'm, I'm looking to grow spiritually. Right? I'm, I'm trying to go down this, this spiritual path or this, this pathway maybe of discipleship, but we don't really define what that is. It's just kind of elusive. And then even if we did go down that pathway of discipleship, what would be our preference? What's our preference in being quote unquote discipled? I'm gonna give you three options I want you to think about. I'm gonna look for a show of hands in a moment. You're gonna vote. Three ways in which you could be discipled. What's your preference in growing? Would it be growing in community, like a small group or a, a larger group of people? Would that be your preference? Would it be one-on-one -on -one, uh, discipleship, maybe with a mentor? Or would your preference be to grow on your own? On your own. Okay. Show of hands, some of you would say that it would be one-on-one -on -one with a mentor. Okay, a few of you, cool. I'm, I'm glad you guys have mentors, that's awesome. Or you're mentoring someone. Um, how many of you would say it's in a large group setting? Okay, a few more, great. And that's kind of why we're in this context, that's awesome. How many of you would say it would be on my own? 
Okay, a few more. Guess what? Across the nation, Christians would say, I'd rather experience spiritual growth on my own. On my own. And it's not really surprising to me. It might be surprising to you. And I think if you reflect on how you grow spiritually, a lot of your practices are on your own. Think about it. We do our, you know, quiet times in the morning. We open up our Bibles. We might journal. We might pray. We might have our cup of coffee in our nice comfy chair. We do that on our own. You know, we uh, listen to podcasts, don't we, on our own? We can access any pastor, I mean, within reason, that we want to listen to from any church on our cell phone at any time. We can do that. We can, in our minds, think that we can somehow be discipled on our own. The problem is, is the discipleship was never intended to be done on your own. Jesus never discipled on their own. He always invited them into a group or he sent them, he sent the 72 in twos, didn't he? When he fed the 5,000, he invited all of his disciples to participate in that experience. Even when Jesus was being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember that? Just before he, got bet- before he was betrayed, he goes off a little bit further to pray, but who does he invite? Peter, James, and John, three other disciples to join him and to be together as they sat, watched, and they prayed. Jesus discipled in community. Jesus discipled in community. We're called to make disciples. We're also called as witnesses to do the work of witness. If you remember in Acts, the very first chapter in Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus returns and he says, you will be my witnesses. When the Holy, you will receive, this is what he says, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I want to stop there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Is that power just for our own sake, just because we like to have power? Because we just need it? We love to feed off of it? Yes, Holy Spirit, come. I want your power. And we kind of fill back up every week. No, he says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And I want to send the Holy Spirit so that you would receive power for what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Bel Air, he's calling us to be his witnesses in Bel Air, in Encino, in Westwood, in Thousand Oaks, Santa Clarita, Burbank, the very ends of the earth. Sorry, Long Beach. But it feels like it, doesn't it? Like if you're in traffic, you're like, oh my gosh, I might as well, I'm at the end, there's nowhere else to go. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. And when we hear this word witness, we can often think to ourselves like, well, I'm not qualified, right, Will? I mean, that's what, when, when you think about being sent by God to do something, it's like, well, I'm not qualified. I'm not a Billy Graham. I can't speak in front of thousands of people. Right? I'm not able to put on a, what's that? 
Sorry, um, I'm, I'm not uh, able to put together a Harvest Crusade. Have you guys went to the Harvest Crusade, anyone? Have you ever been to that? Okay. Um, I'm not able to do that, so I, I'm totally unqualified to witness. And it really, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter if I witness. I mean, who am I, right? But you do matter. You do matter. No one has your life but you. No one has your friends like you do. No one has your neighbors like you do. No one works or goes to school where you go to school. No one has your life but you. Your life matters. And part of our responsibility, part of our job, part of what we're commissioned to do is to be life givers to the people that we're in contact with. And we can do that. We can, we can give life in a wide variety of ways. We can be kind to some people. We can be compassionate to other people. But the way in we really bring life to people is by introducing them to the person who gives life. The person who gives life, and that person is Jesus Christ. Everybody is looking for life. There's not one person that you're going to come in contact with that's not looking for life. And they might be looking for it in all these different ways. And your job, my job, is to introduce them to the life giver. That's what we get to do. That's what we get to do. Hmm. Great, Mike. Sounds good. Love it. I have no clue how to do it. (laughs) So thanks for that. That was really nice. Uh, I'll be going. All right, so I want to introduce you to a person. I want to introduce you to a person that... uh, uh, this, this man is incredible. Um, he's a mover. He's a shaker. He's a doer. He likes to get stuff done. Like he's this, he's kind of like an L.A. kind of person, right? He's one of us. He just, he loves to do. And he heard the call of God, you know, the whom shall I send, who will go for us? He's like, here I am. Send me. And he goes, and he, he goes from Jerusalem to Judea into Samaria, and he's preaching the gospel, and, and he's witnessing, and people are coming to Christ. People are being healed. People are being revived and renewed. And then he hears the voice of the Lord say, go. Get up and go. So he, he got up and he went. And he went and he met another man, and this other man's incredible too. And uh, he, he is... Um, a finance manager. He's a finance manager to the queen of Ethiopia. And he traveled a thousand plus miles to go from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship God. And these two unlikely characters meet on this road and it's a wilderness road and it's on this road that changes everything. And I want to introduce you to him. So would you open up your, bo- your Bibles to Acts chapter eight? I don't know what page that's on. I apologize, but Acts chapter 8, we're going to be going to verse 29. Acts 8, 29. Acts 8, 29. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. 
And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. I love this passage. I love it. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it justice to actually communicate how much I love about this passage, but there's a, a number of things that I love about this passage. And there's three ways I just want, I wanted to just share it with you now. This passage, I love the description it gives for discipleship. Did you catch it? See, when Jesus invited his disciples to follow him, he didn't give him the top 10 questions that they needed to answer in order to join him, did they? No, he said, hey, you over there, I want you to follow me. And you, I want you to follow me. And you, follow me. And they did. They didn't have it all together. They didn't even have it all together after three years of living with this guy. So that's not the qualification. It's just that you would go and follow. And so here we go. Verse 29, the spirit said to Philip, go over to the chariot and join it. So Philip ran to it. I love it. It's not just like, oh, there's, yeah, that's a chariot. and just kind of casually goes. He runs. Imagine if you heard the Spirit of God say, hey, I want you to go to that person and speak to them. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, uh, <laughs> is that really you, Jesus? Uh, can you give me a sign? I just, uh, I don't know. Maybe I ate something bad. Um, is that really the voice of the Lord? No, Philip hears the voice of the Lord. He's so attuned to it and he runs to it. And he's running alongside this chariot and he's listening. He's listening to what the eunuch is reading. And the eunuch happens to be reading uh, from Isaiah, which Philip happens to know. What a shocker. Incredible how God works, isn't it? And so he's running alongside, listening, and he asks a good question Do you understand what it is that you're reading? Simple question. And he gets a profound answer. How can I unless someone is there to guide me? Do you see the discipleship that's taking place? Philip doesn't say, well, let me just, let me in, you know? Like, let me get into your ride. He's like, no, actually, the eunuch invited him in. Invited him into his life. And Philip gets in and leads him. That's what I'm talking about with discipleship. Discipleship is on this journey that we're going and you walk alongside someone, you listen to them, you ask good questions, right? You wait for them to invite you in deeper into their life and you go there. You got to get in. You guide them. But I love also how this passage describes witness. Did you catch it? Acts chapter 8, verse 34. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? 35. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. He starts where the man is. 
right? He meets him where he is. He doesn't have this expectation that he should be further along than he already is. He says, no, I will meet you where you are, but I'm going to guide you. I'm going to tell you about this person that you're longing to meet, this life giver, this person who's named Jesus Christ. And that's what he does. That's what we do. Does that seem doable? Or is that too, like, no, that's too much. Can't do it. I'm serious. Can we, can we do this? I think we can. I think we are actually qualified. I think that we're empowered to do this. I don't think it's too hard to do it. We have to listen. We have to ask good questions. Oh, wait. How many of us are good question askers? Oh, we love to speak, don't we? Don't we just love to listen until we're like, you, me, me, right? I, I, I want to tell you, I, I, no, we have to be good question askers, and only five of us raised our hands. I think my grow workshop is going to be packed <laughs> in the fall, because we're going to be talking about that. What does it look like for us to ask good questions to one another? We have to be good question askers. We have to be good listeners. And then we're invited in and then we lead them to the person of Jesus Christ. We can do this. I love it. I love how it describes disciple making. I love how it describes witness. And I love what it describes about what Jesus came to do. Jesus in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, and you've heard this, the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That word save in Luke 19.10 is the word sozo. Let me hear you say sozo. Okay, some of you guys took my workshop and you guys were already like sozo, sozo. That's awesome. Sozo is that word that we use to translate save. But in Luke and in Acts, it's used to describe a whole host of different things. It's used to describe healing, it's uh, to restoration, reconciliation, um, uh, forgiveness, being brought in, all these different ways, that word sozo is used to describe uh, what we are describing when we say saved. See, saved is, yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we have life with him everlasting. That's true. And Jesus came to do that, but Jesus came to seek and to sozo the lost. He came to do that and so much more. And it's that that we're invited to participate in. We're not invited to participate in the the crucifixion. We can't, that's been done. But we're invited to participate in the sozo work of Christ. And I I want you to um, see it here. Acts 8, verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Sozo. The man placed faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he's baptized. He's saved, right? But there's so much more that's taking place in this text that if you just do a a cursory read of it, you won't catch it. What was this man's name that Philip was engaged with? What was his name? Anyone catch it? We know it was Philip, right? It says so six times, but what's this guy's name? Doesn't say, does it? He's known simply as a eunuch. As a eunuch. A eunuch who traveled a thousand plus miles to worship God in the temple. A eunuch 
who was humiliated and rejected, never allowed in. How do I know that? Deuteronomy 23. I'm not going to read it, but I want you to read it. Deuteronomy 23 clearly states that this man would have never been allowed into the temple. Talk about humiliation. Talk about rejection. And he's reading Isaiah, and he's reading Isaiah about a suffering servant, a man who was rejected, a man who was humiliated, and he's connecting with them. And he's like, who is this guy? Is it this Isaiah character, or is it someone else? And Philip enters in, and he says, no, this is someone else. This is the person of Jesus Christ. And you thought, you thought you were being rejected by God, but in fact, God's been pursuing you. He's pursuing you through me. See, in the temple, you would have had it read, you're not allowed in. But the Holy Spirit had something quite different to say. See, the temple thought that they had the, the full control over the Holy Spirit. They were like the umbilical cord to God, that all the good things, all the nutrients that could come from God would come through the temple. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 no. I want you to see what I'm doing. I am pursuing people. The, the least likely people that you think I'd pursue, I'm pursuing them. The book of John, I'm sorry, in the book of Luke, before Luke 19.10, Jesus tells us what he came to do. He opens the scroll in the synagogue and he says, I've got to get there, Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Christ came to do. Jesus came to seek and to sozo the lost. He came to reconcile those who were separated, to heal those that were broken, to bring in those who were pushed out. And he invites you and I to participate in this sozo work, right? Second Corinthians, is not what we read from earlier? Second Corinthians says that um, Christ is doing a work in us and, and it's a work that he's created us to do and it's a work that we better be doing. He wants to use you and me for this kind of work. Church, I believe that we're called. I, I believe that we are commissioned. I believe that we're sent and chosen and empowered to do the work of disciple making, of witness, and participating. In so doing, those two things, we are actually participating in the saving work of Christ. This is work that God's created us to do. This is work that God has empowered us to do. And it's work that we better get doing. Amen. 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 I'm going to pray for us as the band comes to continue in worship. Let's pray together. Gracious, almighty God, holy, holy, holy God, we thank you for the love that you've demonstrated to us 
and the invitation that you would invite us to participate with you, that you would call us to participate in the work that you desire to do in and through us for the revival and renewal of all things, of all people. God, I'm humbled. It's a privilege that you would choose to use us. And God, as we experience your love, would that love sink deep, deep inside of us. And from that place of being loved, might we say back to you, here am I, send me, Lord. Give us the courage. We want to be your disciples. We want to do what it is that you would have us do. Not for our glory, not for our praise, but for your glory, Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.